So I wonder, what, is it, what does a Christian look like? You know, it'd be easy, wouldn't it? If, if in this business of making Jesus known, wouldn't it be easier if, as we walk around Chessington, you could, like, spot the Christian or the potential Christian, the person who is more likely to accept the good news about Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. And you're thinking, well, what do I have to be like to, to be a Christian? What, what are the, the prerequisites to be a follower of Jesus? I mean, perhaps they'd be someone who was, who was already a believer in God in general. Maybe someone who, who thought that the, the morality of the Bible was a good thing. Perhaps that they'd be someone who actually believed God created the world. Or quite like going along to some sort of meeting where that they'd hear from, from something like the Bible, a sort of church meeting. Perhaps that's the sort of person who'd be a Christian. You'd think they'd be easier, wouldn't they, to share the good news of Jesus with that sort of person? But the problem is, as we've gone through Mark's gospel, it's just that sort of person that keeps rejecting Jesus, uh, the Jews of Jesus' day. They, they took the first half of our Bibles very, very seriously indeed. They believed there was a God. They actually believed the morality of the Bible. They were waiting for God's Messiah, his chosen king, to rock up in the world. And yet last week we saw Jesus say that they had a a radical problem. He said this in Mark 7 and verse 21. You can look down if you want and read it with me. He said, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. See, Jesus says that they have this problem. Their hearts are set against God, and they are wellsprings of evil as a result. And actually, Jesus was saying that not just of the Jews of his day, he says it of every human being who has ever lived. That is what we're like. And what Jesus goes on to do is to show in Mark's gospel that therefore he has come for anyone and everyone. He is for all. And that's fantastic news if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. There is no category of person that you can fall into that excludes you from the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, those who follow the Lord Jesus, desperately need to remember that. Because what Mark does in the verses we read today is he uses geography to teach us theology. I love this as the next geography teacher, but that's what Mark is doing. You see, you probably, as the reading was going on, if you've been around for the last few weeks, you were having a bit of deja vu. You thought, wait a second, I'm sure we've already seen Jesus heal people, uh, cast out demons, and we've seen Jesus keep telling people not to tell others about him, and we've, we've seen Jesus... Uh, feed 5,000 people, and now he's feeding thousands of people again with a, with a small picnic. Haven't we seen this all before? And the, right is, the answer is you, you have. But, but Mark makes very clear to us that, that Jesus is doing this in a very different place. Have a look down at Mark 7 and verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Now, Tyre is a city in the first half of the Bible renowned for being an enemy of God's people. Jesus has gone on a trip to Pagan Central. 
He's in the land of the Gentiles, people who weren't Jews at all, who had none of God's promises. And what Mark is showing and what Jesus is teaching his disciples is that actually he is the one who's come for everyone. As he goes round in the region of the pagans doing exactly the same sort of miracles as he went round in the region of the Jews. And so here's the first thing we need to know, that Jesus cleans the filthy. Jesus cleans the filthy. Now that's what Jesus described us as in Mark 7. He said we were unclean, that out of our hearts came a whole load of muck, of filth. And Ben rightly pointed out to us last week that if if you don't believe that is the nature of the human heart, then we need to try and explain why the world is the way it is. No, No, that's the way every person is. And as he goes into this region of Tyre, he meets a woman. Do you see her in verse 25? A woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. She was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her. Now to you and me at first, this seems like just a heartfelt request from another desperate, desperate mother. You know, like the mum of Charlie Gar. She'll do anything to get her little girl well. I mean, she's totally different to the proud Pharisees, the religious leaders we saw back in chapter 7. They gather around Jesus, almost jostling him with their aggressive questions. She comes and she falls at his feet and she begs him for help. We don't specifically know what the girl's problem is. That this impure spirit literally is an unclean spirit. There is evil in her and it has control of her. The problem is this woman's CV. You see, she's been born in a pagan land. She is part of an unclean people. She's living in unclean central, and she's got an unclean daughter. You see, you can't get in the Jewish mind as far from God as this woman is. Everything is wrong about her. Perhaps maybe that's how you feel about yourself this morning. you, You look around the building and you think... Yeah, if only they knew how dirty I was, how dirty I am. I mean, I just don't fit in here. I, I've not even got a check shirt. <laughs> oh, have a look at verse 27. First, let the little children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. You, know, you didn't expect Jesus to say that. Ben pointed out last week how outrageous that was. But actually, he's just taking a principle that runs through the whole of the New Testament, that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, that he came first for the Jews. Therefore, you wouldn't, if you were having lunch later today, start feeding your dog before you fed your kids. If you do, that's wrong, by the way. No, No, the dog gets the scraps, the leftovers. And so Jesus is saying to this woman, look, there are still Jews who need to hear about me, who need to be healed. Why do you think I should come to you, a a non-Jew, a pagan, a Gentile now? Now, how would you reply? You're desperate for your little girl. You'd have been in his face, wouldn't you? How can you say that to me? Can't you see how much she needs you? How dare you say that you won't heal her just because I'm not a Jew? That's why verse 28 is so extraordinary. 
Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. That's humility. This woman agrees with Jesus. She she recognizes that she doesn't deserve God's healing. She doesn't deserve his promises. But at the same time, she acknowledges that God's grace extends beyond the borders of Israel. And Jesus says she's right. Verse 29, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. And verse 30 leaves us in no doubt that that's exactly what's happened. At a word from Jesus, this girl is made whole, pure, complete. Now last week we saw, as Ben preached very powerfully on these verses, that the woman's attitude is the attitude that we should all have. It's the attitude anyone who comes to Jesus needs. A humble desperation that he, Jesus, is your only hope. That only Jesus can rescue you from the mess that you've made of your relationship with God. Only he can cleanse you from the unclean state of your heart. But but that actually wouldn't have been the first lesson for Jesus' disciples. The reason they'd have been standing there with their mouths open, totally and utterly flabbergasted by what Jesus has done, is that they think he shouldn't have anything to do with this woman at all. When, when he calls her a, a dog, they'd have thought, yeah, no, that's right, she's a Gentile. How dare she get in on the Jewish Messiah? She was clearly someone outside God's plans, someone beyond his love, someone for whom there was no hope. And that's actually how we should all see ourselves. I mean, I guess most of us here aren't Jews by birth. We weren't born into the nation that received the promises of God. And therefore, the best light that Mark 7 leaves us to see ourselves in is this, as a dog with an evil heart who deserves God's curse rather than his blessing. That's how all of us are by nature. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, the first thing you need to understand about Christians is that we really don't think that we're better than other people. It's not that we perform some religious ritual or keep some rules and that God likes us. No, the starting point of being a Christian is to realize that I'm an evil person who desperately needs Jesus' saving work. And it's so easy, isn't it, as Christians, to, to lose sight of the fact that we're outsiders by nature when we become insiders. I think it's one of, one of the things we do most quickly as we start to follow Jesus Christ, is we become self-righteous. We just subtly start to look down upon other people. It's one of the ways we feel better about ourselves. I've taken to going to Rona's Cafe, you know, the cafe in uh, Chessington North, where you can uh, get a bit of a breakfast, or quite a lot of a breakfast. I'll read the Bible with guys in there. Um, I was uh, in there this week, and uh, the waiter walked over to me and said, two poached eggs and a cup of tea. Now, that wasn't because he looked at me and went, no bacon and sausage for you, you tub of lard. Have this. <laughs> it was actually because I've been in there so regularly recently that he knows I have two poached eggs and a cup of tea. And I was in there last week a couple of times, and uh, when I go in, quite often there are builders and some of this is a gardening fraternity carbo-loading before they go to the office for the day. And some of them sit outside, and they were sitting outside on tables, And both times, the same two things wafted in through the doors, okay? Language that turns the air blue, and secondly, the smell of weed, marijuana, 
I mean, these guys are puffing through joints on the pavement like you wouldn't believe. I was having poached egg and a joint simultaneously for breakfast. I started the day very relaxed. <laughs> now, my reaction in that sort of situation is to actually slightly look down upon these blokes. To, to be slightly intimidated by them, actually. I tell you the one thing I don't think is, I think I'll go out and tell them about Jesus. <laughs> That's last on my list of things to do. But there's no one beyond Jesus' rescue. Now, that's what he's showing us with this woman. There's no one who's beyond the kingdom of God. And we mustn't think that they are because Jesus might be just about to welcome them in. And when Jesus welcomes you, he, he is the one who opens you up to receive his message. And the next thing that happens is to teach us that. It's the second thing. Jesus opens the closed. Jesus opens the closed. Have a look at verse 31 with me. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. Now, we've actually, again, been to the Decapolis before. It was when Ben was preaching, and a guy called Legion had come up to him, a guy possessed by multitudes of evil spirits. And once Jesus had put Legion into his right mind, he said, you go back to your town and you tell people what the Lord's done for you. And clearly Legion's been doing that because people start to bring Jesus another hopeless case. A man who is mute, he can't speak, and, and he's deaf. Now, now, miracles in the New Testament, like the one we're just about to look at, aren't just there to show us that Jesus is God on earth. They also teach us about what Jesus has come to do. And so Mark gives us great detail of this miracle. Have a look at verse 33. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephapha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. Now, actually, the bits we find weird and gross us out, you know, you can imagine. You know, you think, oh, oh. Those bits are what show us Jesus' compassion here. What he's doing is he's, he's showing up a man who can't speak, who can't hear, that I'm going to heal your ears. And, and spit was very commonly used by healers of the day. It was something that in, in imagery of the day was about healing. Jesus is taking a guy to show him exactly what he's going to do for him. And not only is he showing this man what he's going to do for him, as he opens his ears, he's showing everyone around him who he is. That, that beautiful reading from Isaiah 35 is about what happens when the Lord God himself comes on earth to rescue his people. And Isaiah 35 verse 5 said, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. But this isn't just about physical hear, hear, hearing and healing. Now that word, ephatha, which ironically is quite hard to say with your tongue out, ephatha, means be opened in a much bigger way. It's as though Jesus is saying to this man, be open totally to me. Have your heart changed so you can receive me. See, Jesus unlocks people's spiritual hearing 
so they can understand God's wonderful message, the message of the rescue through the good news about Jesus. So, so what happens is, as Jesus opens you up, suddenly you begin to realize that you're a sinner, that, that you haven't just done wrong things, but you've treated the God who's made you and loved you appallingly throughout your life, rejected and ignored him. And you realize that makes you alienated from God and actually a person who deserves his punishment. And then as you have your ears opened, as you hear of Jesus, you begin to hear of the one who is your savior. And as you hear of him dying on a cross, it's no longer just an event in history. It's the place where he deals with the way you've treated God. And you know that you're opened to a relationship with God. That's Jesus' work in you. I used to have a, a job when I was a student as a, a delivery driver for a beer, wine, and spirit firm based in Guildford. And uh, I can still remember the first time I got to drive a lorry, largely because I wrote off a BMW. It went like this. I, um, I was uh, backing out across the Aldershot Road in Guildford, uh, quite narrow turning. And uh, the guy who was the mate in the lorry with me got out the back to see me back, safety first. Problem was, I had the radio up full volume. And so uh, he, was, he was seeing me back, and I was looking right, looking left, all fine, you know, in the mirrors, couldn't see anything to either side. But I couldn't hear him shouting, Stop! Stop! And before you could get round the front, I'd gone all the way across the road, onto the pavement on the other side, hit a BMW that was parked there, and then shunted it across the pavement towards the house. I, uh, I thought it was a disaster. The bloke who'd been trying to sell it second-hand for about six months came out running with a big smile on his face <laughs> and the telephone number of his insurance company. <laughs> you see, you've got to be able to hear the warning. And without the work of the Lord Jesus in Mark's gospel, you don't hear the warning. I mean, throughout Mark, Jesus has been uttering a warning. He said, look, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. In other words, now is the time to come into relationship with God through me, his king. Turn to me. Believe I am God's loving savior. Now, now for those of us who are followers of Jesus here, I hope that we understand it's not because we've been clever. It's not because we've thought things through and you know, come to a reasoned decision ourselves that other less intelligent people can't do, so, so we know it's true about Jesus. No, it's that our ears have been opened. That's the only reason that we're here today. He's opened our ears to hear him. And that's fantastic news for you if you're not a Christian. He opens people's ears to hear. I became a Christian in February 1989, I was 19 years old. I know that I had heard about Jesus from my mum, especially, all the way through my life up until that time. I'd been to loads of church services, but, but I'd not heard. It was only when I went to a talk uh, given to students in February the 16th, 1989, and I sat there. Suddenly, I heard, and I knew I was a sinner, and I knew that Jesus had died on the cross to be my saviour. Just afterwards, I took my, my best mate from college along, Tony, and I, I took him to the talk. And this happens when you hear for the first time, and God opens your ears to hear, and you're so excited about Jesus. I took Tony along, and we were sitting there, and I said, listen up, Tony, this is great. And I said, do you believe? And he goes, no. <laughs> what do you mean you don't believe? Listen harder. It's absolutely true. 
mm, no, don't, don't, doing nothing for me. His ears hadn't been opened. Nothing better about me than Tony. That's why we have pray at the beginning of our vision statement, by the way. Pray. Because if people are going to hear of Jesus, it's not just about us bringing them under the sound of the gospel. It's about God opening their ears so that they can hear. It's his work, not ours. That's what the disciples needed to learn. Because they've got to take this message to the whole world. I mean, don't, don't you sometimes feel that in our culture, in our country, that the gospel is no longer effective? I mean, it's okay to have a big day out. It was a fantastic big day out yesterday. Wasn't it brilliant? But can you imagine, would we have had a couple of thousand people here if we put posters up around saying, going to give a talk about Jesus, come along. Or even if during the day, would everyone have stayed if every half hour we took a 15-minute slot and said, Daft's going to preach the gospel. The wipeout stops. The climbing wall's going to stop. You all have to listen. Don't you think sometimes, don't you feel the gospel's ineffective in our culture? Surely it was easier in the past when, when you know, people believed there was a God or church was faintly a good thing and not a bunch of lunatics. But actually, that's untrue. But because it's not about how people are, it's about the God who opens people's ears. In fact, you couldn't get more close to the message of God's Messiah than a deaf and mute pagan man living in Gentile land. And yet he's opened. And Jesus is daily crying afathra across the world. Do you know there are more Muslims coming to Christ today than at any stage in the history of humanity since Islam was founded? More Muslims converted today across the Islamic world. Thousands of Muslims are coming to Christ You don't hear about it because you watch the BBC. But it's happening. In Iran, there's been a massive church explosion. Why? Have a look at verse 37. Because in verse 36, Jesus doesn't want to be known as a healer. So he keeps saying to people, just don't spread the news about this. He's come that he might have people come to him, not for healing their deafness, but for them being, seeing him as their king. But, But look at verse 37. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He's done everything well. Literally, he's done everything beautiful, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, that's what Jesus does. You see him and you're amazed because you hear the message. And then you just can't help speaking about him. That's what he does. So your family member who shuts down a conversation as you begin to talk about Jesus quicker than Roger Federer serves. It's okay. Pray that God will open their ears. That antagonistic atheist you sit next to at work who when they found out that you go to church just loves, you know, niggling you through the day. It's okay. Pray that God will open their ears. That woman at the school gate who you've discovered is a Muslim. Well, pray that God will open her ears because Jesus opens anyone to the message about him and that's because thirdly he's the redeemer of the world this this is the pinnacle this last account of the deja vu section of mark's gospel because it was only back in the chapter chapter end of chapter six jesus fed five thousand people 
And both miracles have loads of repeated themes. Have a look at verse 2 and 3 of Mark chapter 8. I have compassion for these people, Jesus says. We need compassion in Mark 6.34. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. This is the compassionate, loving God who's interested in all our needs. But, but as we read through the account, it's in a remote place or a wilderness, just like before in verse 4. There are loaves and fish being consumed, just like before. There are seven loaves here, five in Mark 6. There's no way to get more food, just like in Mark 6. The people are asked to sit down, just like in Mark 6. There's thanksgiving, and the bread is broken and distributed by the disciples, just like in Mark 6. Everyone is satisfied. And there are massive leftovers collected before the disciples get into a boat and go somewhere else, just like in Mark 6. Now, when we studied Mark 6, we saw that that feeding of the 5,000 in the wilderness reminded us of the time that in the Exodus, in the second chapter of the Bible, God had given his people manna, miraculous bread, in the wilderness. He'd done that when he was rescuing them from slavery in Egypt through mighty acts of judgment. And it was a pointer. It was a, a visual message from Jesus. Now God has come to his people again. And he's going to rescue them. Not from slavery in the wilderness, but from slavery to sin. From the inability to love God and each other as they should. And he's going to do that not by pouring out mighty acts of judgment upon the Egyptians, but by taking his own judgment upon himself at the cross. That was the message of Mark 6. And now, in Mark 8, that message is shown to be for everyone, not just for the Jews. Because as Jesus feeds 4,000 people in pagan land, it's a message for all people. Some people say it's just one miracle, and Mark's just repeating himself. But, But that's not the case. There are all sorts of differences throughout the miracle. Not least that when they collect up those basketfuls, in Mark 6 he collected up, the word is a little Jewish basket, and there are 12 of them collected up. There were 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. It's like here is the completed people of God. But but in Mark 8, when he collects up seven basketfuls, it's a different word used. It's a Gentile, a non-Jewish word for a basket, And seven in the Bible is the number of completeness, seven days of creation. It's a picture of here is the one who's come to get a a redeemer people from the whole world. That's what Jesus is doing. He's the rescuer of the world. That's the message for the disciples. Get a bigger vision. He's the redeemer of everyone. There's no one beyond his compassion. There's no one who can't be bought from slavery to sin. It's the beauty of knowing the love of God, their heavenly Father. There's no one beyond the offer of true satisfaction and coming to a heavenly banquet with God forever in eternity. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, and you'll know if you know Jesus, because if you know Jesus, you treasure him above all else. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, that's what he's offering you, whoever you are, whatever your background. And that's why these three things need to be our priorities as a church. You see, we have this vision of taking the message of Jesus to the world. 
So, so what, what do we need to do if pray, go and invite is going to be our heartbeat as a church? Well, here's the first thing. It's got to be this, hasn't it? The priority of the lost. The priority of the lost. This whole trip that we've been looking at in Mark is to teach the disciples that no one is too lost for Jesus. It's to show the disciples that he's come for the outsider, the unclean, the closed. He's come to redeem the world. He came to seek and save the lost. And do you know what these days that we live in are called in the Bible? They're called the days of salvation. That's why today exists for people to be redeemed by Jesus, to be saved, to come to know him. Using any Using today for any other purpose than seeing people saved is to miss the point of today. That's why, by the way, we've got to see our church as a lifeboat, not a cruise liner. You know what? A cruise liner is set up for the people in it. Now, the purpose of a cruise liner is that people on the ship have a good time. It's all about them. Yeah? So, you know, you ensure they have the right food, variety of buffets, because everyone has a bit of a different diet. Yeah, and there's a different entertainment, so everyone gets what they want. Yeah, and if someone, you know, complains to the captain of the ship, what you do is you, you change that, or you try and keep everyone on board the ship happy. That's the purpose of a cruise liner. But, but the purpose of a lifeboat is rescuing people who are lost. The whole boat is set up to get people out of the water. It's not for the comfort of the crew at all. You know, it's not like on the lifeboat you have a drinks cabinet. No, no, the whole purpose is we've got to rescue people. And we see the church so often as a cruise liner. We want it to be what we want it to be so it's comfortable for us. But we're saved. It's, it's why the church has got to be set up for the twenty to 30,000 people of Chessington who aren't saved. And, and that's the only reason we have in our vision the desire to see our church double in number. It's nothing about feeling good about ourselves or, or wanting to be seen to be successful. It's because if we double in number, there'll be twice as many saved people in the lifeboat. Wouldn't that be great? And it's awful if, if you think, well, I'm not sure I want so many people in the lifeboat. Can you imagine that, being on a lifeboat? Yeah, and and people, you've been rescued out of the water, and then you get a bit grumpy because conditions are getting a bit cramped in the lifeboat because more people are being rescued. I can't make it to the drinks cabinet. It's a lifeboat. That, that's why the church has to be about the priority of the lost. That's what Jesus is doing. He's come to save, to redeem anyone. And so our church has got to be set up for the people who aren't here. That, that's why we uh, have a church plant in Epsom, isn't it? It's painful having a church plant in Epsom. It involved giving precious people. It involved giving money. It, it involved all sorts of things. But it's so people who are lost in Epsom can hear about Jesus. That's why we're exploring a church plant in Tolworth. Not to make life easier for us, but so people who are lost in Tolworth can hear about Jesus. Here's the second thing. We've got to have a passion for the individual. Because I guess one of the reasons that people are worried about a church growing is you think, well, maybe I'll get lost. You know, in the crowd, they, they, they just won't notice me. They won't care for me. I won't be able to chat to, to my friends anymore. The whole Sunday experience might just become a bit impersonal. But that's not the case. That's not the way the Lord Jesus operates. See, the Lord Jesus, yeah, he feeds thousands, 
But he has time to speak to one woman who's totally and utterly alone and outside of God. And we have to be the same. We have to have a passion for the individual. The number of people who come to our church is simply made up of one person plus one person plus one person plus one person. We've got to intentionally look out for each precious person. In fact, one of the most famous stories Jesus tells, the parable of the lost sheep, precisely shows that God's priority for the lost in the way that the shepherd, if you remember, leaves his 99 sheep to go to look for the one lost sheep, but also the care, the passion of the individual, one sheep. So one of the primary reasons we're appointing an associate pastor is to try and improve our care for each person. How is each person with the Lord? Are they certain of God's promises to them and the Lord Jesus? Are they rejoicing in the Lord because they're growing in knowledge and love of him? That The people I'm most concerned about in our church are not the physically ill. There are those who are in danger of drifting from Christ. Those who Sunday by Sunday choose the world over the word. I mean, what's more precious, for instance? Ask yourself, what's more precious about some of the the older guys, and we've got certainly a couple of older guys, who who are drawing close to death as we speak this morning? What's more precious, a few more hours of life or the fact that they're certain they know they're going home? A passion that each individual might rejoice in God's grace daily and be certain that they will go to be with the Lord one day. That's what we want for everyone. And if we've got any hope of prioritizing the lost and any hope of caring for each person individually, lastly, we've got to see the place of training. That's actually what Jesus has done in this section of Mark. I wonder if you noticed in our reading that Jesus doesn't actually teach the crowds at all. What he does is he's taken the disciples on a walk through pagan land, doing the same things he's done for the Jews, showing just the disciples, I include everyone in my plan. It's largely a lesson for the twelve. There's no teaching here to, to the crowds. And training is absolutely vital. Vital so God's people are equipped to use the gifts God's given them in his service. So we have to be a church that intentionally trains people. I mean, You wouldn't let someone drive a car without training, would you? I mean, would you? And do you think following the Lord Jesus and making him known is any easier than driving a car? I I find it much harder than driving the car. So that's why if you're thinking, "How how do I tell my friend about, how do I even start a conversation with my mate about Jesus? That's, That's why Ben's put on that course, Just Start Talking. And he'll be putting on again so we can think about how, how do I speak to someone about Jesus? That's why our children and, and youth work, we, we want so many leaders because it's not just about getting lots of kids in children and youth work. It's having a knowledge of where each little child is with the Lord. And it's why they need training and, and feedback so that they can be better at communicating the gospel to, to the children that come along. That's why uh, if you're a life group leader or a hub leader, we want to take you aside so you handle the Bible so that you can help others, individuals, walk wholeheartedly in a certain knowledge of God's love for them and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's why if you're on the welcome team, we want to help you think about how is it that, that each precious person who may well be a lost person can come in here and not just find a sheet and find a seat, but in time find a relationship with someone who loves them enough to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And training doesn't have to be a formal course. It can just be hanging out with another Christian as they serve the Lord and, and learning from them. Three things that, that have to mark us out. If we have any hope of being used by God for this vision, the priority of the lost, a passion for each individual, and, and the place of training in our church. Why? Because the Redeemer of the world's come, and no one is too filthy for him. No one is too closed for him to change. In compassion, he's come to redeem anyone and everyone. That's what he's about. That's what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is about. And surely we must be about what he's about. Do you believe that? Isn't that what we should be about? We should be about what he's about. Jesus for everyone.